Well, church, today we're beginning a brand new series. I'm really excited about this series, and we're going to talk about love is. And the question we're posing over the next couple of weeks, three weeks, is do you want to know uh, what love is? And uh, we consulted some children, and we asked them what love is. And I just want to share some of uh, children's insight, elementary school children's insight with you today. Uh, You don't need to write any of this down, but you'll find it uh, intriguing because children uh, like to think on their own, and they are thinking on their own. Uh, Glenn, who is age seven, says, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. Uh, It it takes too long, he he said. Uh, Regina, who is 10 years old, said, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding the fourth grade to be hard enough. Manuel, who is eight, says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something. Uh, But the rest of it is not supposed to be painful. Uh, May, who is age nine, said, no one is sure why it happens, but I've heard it has something to do with how you smell. Uh, That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. Ava, at age eight, says, one of you should know how to write a check, because even if you have tons of love, there's still going to be a lot of bills. One of you needs to fix your son up with that girl, Ava, uh, because she's pretty smart. Uh, Mike, who who is nine, says, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually, listen to what he says, and that usually gets them interested enough for a second date, Uh, which is fantastic. As I've thought through this series, my mind immediately goes, when I hear the question, do you want to know what love is, to foreigner in in the 80s. How, How many of you remember Foreigner in, in the 80s. In fact, just play a clip if you would. Alright, every campus, let's sing it together. Okay, I will. That's what I want to do today is I want to show you what love is. And and when it comes to rules, because there are love rules, right? When When it comes to just rules in general, they have changed over the years. I don't know if you picked up on that or not, but they're always changing the rules. Uh, You remember the rule that said you couldn't eat for 30 minutes or couldn't swim for 30 minutes after you ate a meal? How many of you suffered through that one, right? And and just a couple of years ago, a doctor came around and said, no, not true, right? In fact, you can eat and then jump in the pool. In fact, you can eat in the pool if if you want to. And I feel like my parents owe me hundreds of swimming hours uh, because the rule just changed, right? How about the three-second rule? Anybody know what that rule is, the three-second rule? Anybody follow that rule? Doctor came around last year and said, no, not a rule. Food that falls on a dirty ground instantly is dirty. But we still count, don't we? One, two, three and a half, right? And we we get it and and we eat it, but who knew? Instantly, uh, that food is dirty. Uh, And at school today, there are different rules than when you and I were kids. And and there are new rules for English and grammar and math and science and uh, all the subjects, there are new rules. And uh, when my kids bring their math homework home and say, uh, from fifth grade, can you help me with this advanced math or all the way to AP calculus and my oldest child, can you help me with uh, this? I say, hey, you can't be dependent on me. You got to learn it. 
right? But, but on the inside, I'm thinking, I don't have a clue how to do any of that anymore. And part of the reason I don't have a clue how to do any of that anymore is because they've changed all the rules. And, and to the educators on the planet, let me just say to you, if one of your primary goals is to keep the parents engaged in what is happening at the school with the children, quit changing the rules. We don't know how to do it, nor are we going back and relearning how to do it. But the rules, they just keep changing. And when it comes to dating and love and sex, those rules are changing all the time. In fact, 20 years ago, when I was a kid, if you asked a girl out, there were only two options, right? Yes or no. And occasionally some morons would add the maybe box, which was just a delayed no, right? But, but uh, today there are hundreds, dozens of at least responses that, that can come back to you when you are seeking a relationship. In fact, one of my favorite uh, answers that I hear from single adults on a regular basis is pastor, he said to me, it's complicated. I love that one. It's my favorite, actually. It's complicated. But because here's the question, Pastor, what does that mean? It's complicated. Let me just pastor all of you, because I'm so full of mercy. Let, let me just pastor all of you today and tell you what that means. He's not into you. That's what that means. The person who you really, really like does not really, really like you. The person who you think you're in a relationship with does not think they're in a relationship uh, with, with you. That's what complicated means. But what I want to do in this series is I want to take this subject of love from it's complicated to it's clear because God wants it to be very clear for us. And I want you to fully understand the gift of God's love today as God sees it, as God created it. And quite honestly, as God wants to direct it. And today I want to speak specific. I'm going to speak to all of you, but I want to speak specifically to single adults in our churches today. In fact, if you're married, would you just put your hands together and thank God for all the single adults who are a part of our congregations? Uh, we're excited that you're here. Listen, we love you. Doing church requires married adults, requires single adults, and it requires all of us. And in fact, I asked a few weeks ago, uh, our staff in that area, I said, hey, could I have a date where I just speak to just singles? And uh, so we worked that out. Wednesday night, March 8th, uh, we're going to do that event. I'm going to speak to just singles. And we did this last year. We had singles drive in from all over the state and come and be a part of this. I've talked to several single adults who gave their lives to Christ at this event last year. And so it's going to be great. It was streamed all over. In fact, we got more emails from that event across the nation, maybe than we have from a lot of other events combined. And so March 8th, just going to be singles. And I'm going to talk to you just about being single and what the word of God has to say about that. But I also want to help you today. And what I want to help you with is how to find a good marriage and a great marriage. Because sadly, many of you have never seen that picture. It's very possible that most of you in our church who are single adults have never seen a godly picture of what a great marriage is supposed to look like. And the only picture you have ever seen is a really, really blurry one. And you learned how to treat a future spouse by how your parents interacted with one another. And let's just be honest, maybe they didn't interact all that well. And statistically, over half of you, your parents called it quits and divorced, or you're learning how to love and learning how to do marriage from TV shows or the Hallmark Channel, right? And I'll just confess to you, Christmas time, I watch Star Wars and Rockies and all those with my boys, but I watch Hallmark uh, with my girls during the Christmas holidays and they record all of them. And, and, uh, and we sit under a blanket with a fireplace and hot chocolate. And with my girls, I watch the Hallmark Channel, uh, all the Christmas stories. And there are a couple of times I look up and say, Daddy, are you crying? I'm not crying. And, and uh, 
But I like watching the shows with the girls. And my advice to the Hallmark Channel is you need another actor or two. Like it's the same four people in every one of the 21 movies from Thanksgiving. And so it's hard for my brain to shift. And I keep saying things like, what about her dad? And she's like, no, dad, that's the other movie. And, and, but, but you learn, but all these Hallmark movies, all they really are is grown up fairy tales, right? And, and fairy tales end nice. In fact, they all end, say it with me, they lived happily ever after, right? But what they fail to teach you is how to live happily ever after. And I want you to hear me today when I declare to you, I believe with all my heart, God has a plan to help you get there. He has a plan to get you to the place where you can live happily ever after. And there are some rules involved in the process that you got to follow. And to the married adults uh, next week and then the next week, we're going to talk specifically to you and one week to marriage, one week to parents. And, and Ted Cunningham is going to be our guest. He's my favorite communicator, quite honestly. I don't tell him that, but, but he is. And, uh, it's on this subject, he, he may be the best on in America. And, and so you don't want to miss the next couple of weeks. Date night comedy tour on the 22nd. Heed your campus pastor's advice today to get those tickets. Last year on that date, 48 of you texted me and said, Pastor, you know me, you know us, can you get us in the back door? And, and my answer has to be, no, I can't, because that would be unfair to the people who purchased the tickets and listened to us ahead of time. And we're trying to build a church that's not so procrastinating. And, and, and so I, I, I'm, it's tough love that I'm giving you. And so would you help us and go ahead and get them today? But, but so Ted's going to talk to you about being married, and there's some rules that you're going to maybe need to rewrite in, in your home. And, and I'm looking forward to that. You're going to look forward to that. It's going to be really good. Some of you may get a little nervous about what that means and rewriting some of the rules. Does that mean I got to go on more dates? Does that mean more sex? Does that mean, uh, you know, laundry? And, and, in fact, let me just say to parents uh, who, who are here today and have kids in the room, I would say about 10, 11 is kind of where this is rated today. Uh, 10, 11, 12, 10, 11 years old is where this is rated. And, and so if you've got a 10 year old and below in the room or nine year old and below, you may want to take them to our children's ministry because I'm going to talk straight today. But, but if you're 10 and above, let me just say, you need to hear this now. And uh, it's not too early uh, for you to hear this. And uh, then one week, we're really going to talk. Next week, we're going to talk to parents about what are we passing down in love? What, what are we teaching our children about love? And is it agree with what God has to say about love? And do we teach our children to love everyone or we just teach them to love the people like them and the people that vote like them? And, and how does that work? And how we live as mom and dad, how we live as wife and husband defines that for our children, whether we like it or, or not. And so when I say we need to revisit or rewrite the rules, I'm not saying that we need to go back, you know, 20 or 30 years to how it used to be, the good old days. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you are like, yes, go back, Pastor. I'm not saying we go back 20 or 30 years to how it used to be. Actually, what I'm suggesting is we go back 2,000 years to, to where Jesus himself rewrote the rules. One of the verses that I've taught my kids in the last few years is John 13, uh, 34, which says, a new command I'm giving you. Which is interesting that Jesus said that, right? Because he, he, had, he had taught them all kinds of stuff. He's the author of the Ten Commandments and every other commandment, right? And, and he says, a new rule I'm giving you, a new commandment I'm giving you. Love one another. And just so you get clearly what that means, as I have loved you, you go love one another. That's what Jesus said. So you want to know how to love? Jesus said, do it like I do it. And Jesus is saying, let me give you the new rule to live by and how to approach God, which by the way, Jesus, when he said that, he lived in a day where you became righteous before God by keeping the rules, all of the rules. 
And what Jesus is saying, I've rewritten them and I've shrunk it down and this is the rule I want you to follow. It's the new rule. Love each other in the same way that I loved you. In fact, there was another place in scripture where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And he said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he was summarizing the whole law, not just part. And he's breaking down all of it. And he said, this is the bottom line. Love each other and do it like I did. Love each other the way that I loved you. And the trouble we get into today, the most of our problems have arisen in marriage and dating come from the fact that we have redefined and rewritten the rules for ourselves. And, and we don't know that we're killing ourselves and we're harming ourselves. God did not write the rules for our harm. He did not write the rules to be a killjoy. He did not write the rules because he got a pot of gold hidden somewhere that he doesn't want us to find. He knows how it plays out and he's written them for our good. And so we've taken the focus off of Jesus and what Jesus said and what Jesus taught and we put the focus on ourselves and really our focus is how do we get love back? How do we treat others so that we get love back and we get the love we want from other people? And, and today, we think of love as an emotion, don't we? Google it. Spent some time this week. Pages and pages of nothing come up when you search what is love. That, that, that you'll find images, you'll find artwork, you'll find poetry, you'll find lyrics to songs, but really, really hard to find a definition of what love is. In fact, Wikipedia would just say it is a feeling or an emotion. And, and I want you to hear me today. How you feel is a very, 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 very bad barometer of true love. Because how you feel can change on a regular basis, depending on what you ate. Or how you slept. How you feel can change consistently. And love for Jesus was not defined by how he felt. Love for Jesus was defined by what he did. How do you think he felt in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was about to go make the ultimate act of love and die on the cross for all of us? If you asked him how he felt in that moment, he would say, I want to get the heck out of Dodge, right? That's what I feel like doing is not doing this. In fact, he said, Father, is there any other way? But he ultimately ended up saying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. I'm, I'm going to do it your way. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. But what if he'd said, hey, my love for you people is based on my feelings, and I don't feel like going to the cross. We wouldn't even be here today, right? But, but he said, I'm going to act. I'm going to behave. I'm going to obey because I love. And, and when we make love a feeling, love is something that we can fall in or out of. And so many marriages are built on feeling love rather than an acting love. And when we base marriage on how we feel, mark it down, all of us will eventually feel like walking away. All of us. And if you're a single adult and you say, I don't know if that's true or not, ask the married couple right next to you. There's not a married person on the planet who has never felt in their marriage at one time, I'll walk away from this thing. This is too hard. It is too difficult. So you can't base it on how you feel because all of us will feel like getting out and walking out at one time or another. It's not if, it's when we, we feel that way. We will all feel that way. But when it, we base our marriage on commitment and we base our marriage on devotion, not only do we never give up, here's what we end up finding, that, that the feeling ends up following the action. It follows the action. And, and, and here's what I want you to know. I, I, it's not that I don't like feeling in love. I like it. I do like it. But, but I know that commitment is greater than feeling. And commitment trumps feeling. 
and feeling will always follow commitment. It always follows it. And, and so the commitment act out upon it, the feelings then come. But, but in today's culture and in today's society, we've rewritten the rules of love. And just like our kids come home with homework that I have no idea how to do it, right? The, the homework they've been given uh, is not just about math and science and all that. Now they've been given homework to try to figure out love uh, according to our culture and according to our society. And, and the first place that our culture tries to teach it is in the subject of chemistry. How many of you liked chemistry? Like seven people, right? And, and, but, but chemistry uh, today is all the, that when it relates to love. And that's the question is, do we have chemistry? And here's what that means. Chemistry means that you see a girl, she sees you, and birds appear, right? And you start to pit out and sweat, and, and you get stars in your eyes, and your heart just starts to race. Basically, it simulates a stroke. Is what we're talking about, right? And, and, and so we, we all want chemistry and love. We, we all want, that's what we're looking for. Uh, and so we get real nervous and we hope, we hope we have chemistry. Is she going to laugh at my jokes, right? And, and, and you know, is he going to notice my eyeliner? And, and, and is she going to think I'm a stud when I tell this story or these stories, right? And, and, and how does my first name sound with his last name? And all of this chemistry stuff, right? And we're trying to play this chemistry stuff out. And here's the problem with chemistry. Actually, there are a whole lot of problems with chemistry. Whole lot of problems. But the big problem is this. When we ask, do we have chemistry, we're really being self-centered and selfish. Because when we ask that question in our culture today, it's really all about me and just a little bit about you, right? That it's really about me and my. Or will you be my perfect idea of a mate? Will you fit my ideal uh, scenario? Will you fit into my lifestyle? Will you fit into my budget? Will you fit into my time plan? Will you fit into my culture and my politics and my, and my, my? And the other big flaw when it comes to chemistry is that it wears off. It wears off. Quite honestly, that kid that said, you know, on the first date, they tell each other lies, which interests them enough to go on a second date is really brilliant <laughs> beyond his years. In fact, in trying to find out if this is the person I want to marry, dating is really a futile exercise. It's really almost not beneficial because we put a front up right? We, we, we pretend, we put our best self forward and even a fake self forward. Let me just say to you, just start being honest. What you really ought to do is sit down at that first coffee with that girl and say, it's not even my jacket. <laughs> it's my roommates. I don't own one. It's not my car. That's my sister's. I don't even have a job. I live with my parents and I'm a compulsive liar. <laughs> just get it out front. I'm tired of seeing her on the backside of her saying I do to you, idiot. Tell her ahead of time who you are. Confess I'm narcissist or whatever your issue happens to be on the front end. But here's what I want all of you to know today. If you base your marriage on that chemistry test, a few years down the road when chemistry is hard, you will see somebody else, you will look at that person and get those stroke-like symptoms and you will think because you now believe that love is a feeling, you will think I should leave this one because I have no chemistry there and I should go to this one where I now have chemistry. That's how that works. And, and you say, okay, so well, I passed the chemistry test. What's next? I, I'll just tell you, biology homework is what's next. And there's a bounce, chicka, bounce, bounce going on <laughs> in, in the soundtrack, in, in the culture today, in the dating scene. The biology homework says, hey, we're going to let biology take over. And we're going to let nature take over. We passed the chemistry test, but we got to see if we're really compatible. And the way we do that is take off all our clothes. 
And, and we got to find out if we're really right for each other. And I can't get married unless I know the sex is going to be good. That is the craziest thing I have ever heard in my life. It is a lie from the enemy. And we have this preoccupation in our culture today, in the dating scene today, that, that is focused and fixated on what happens between the sheets. And, and it's not just a guy-centered problem anymore, but it starts with a guy, and it is a guy problem. And ladies, I just want to confess to you something about the opposite gender today. And I want to tell you that men have a part of their brain that fixes problems, and they have another part of their brain that thinks about sex. And at about age 15, this one starts growing and this one starts shrinking. <laughs> and they are close to one another in the brain so that one overtakes the other. And it gets really, really confusing for the male from 15 years old on because his brain is broke. And he thinks he's trying to fix something, but he's not. He's actually breaking something. And, and, and when you say, hey, maybe we should go back to my place, he thinks he's fixing something by doing that, when in actuality, he's breaking the whole thing, and he's tearing the whole thing apart. And, and you think chemistry is bad? You, let me just tell you something. You try love based on biology. You just try getting married and watch how that biology homework plays out into your marriage. Just watch it. Because the guy gets married, and he thinks, we're married. We get to have sex twice a day. I'm not lying. And I think that's biblical, actually. <laughs> but the female gets married and, and, and thinks, we're married, we don't have to have sex anymore. And those two things are incongruent. And, and there's a problem with it. And, and so you got a chemistry quiz and a biology homework, and now you got a math test. And, and in the math test, it says, hey, you get married, you think it's one plus one is two. And I want you to know it's not one plus one is two because your math is faulty. It's new math. It's broken, right? But, but first of all, it's not one plus one is two in marriage. It's one plus one is one. Because what you're not doing is cre you're not creating two new people. You're creating one new union. That's how it works. And that's how God sees it. But, but in order for it to be, even if we wanted to play one plus one is two, that would require that it, you have two whole people in order to equal two. And usually we don't have two whole people right? In fact, you're broken and you got issues and, and you're messed up. And so saying it's going to be one plus one is two is, is just faulty math to begin with because you don't got one and you don't got one. Uh, people today are not whole and they're not whole before the Lord. And, and so you take two people with problems and you put them together hoping to solve problems. That's crazy because what happens when you take two people that have problems and you put them together, what you did is double the problem. And what happens when you get to the point where the two people with problems can't figure out what to do with the problems? The wife will say, let's have a baby. <laughs> and the husband thinks, well, that, that involves sex. Okay. And, and, and he, he thinks he's fixing it, right? And, and so, uh, yeah, we're creating a problem. That math does not work. It does not work ever. And, and I want to just confess to you today as a pastor who sees some people periodically, I've never yet met a couple who had marriage problems. Not one time. I said, what on earth are you talking about? I just haven't. I, I meet people who have single people problems. And, and they got married. And, and two people with problems walked down an aisle and stood at an altar and got married. And now they think their problems are married people problems. They're not married people problems. They're single people problems. Marriage problems are really, quite honestly, easy Really easy. They're the easiest problems on the planet. Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the end or the top? 
or just get two tubes like we do. I don't want her touching my tube, right? And, 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 and so, does the toilet paper go over or under? You have one bank account or two. Those are marriage problems. They're really, 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 really easy. The complicated problems are single people problems that didn't get solved before you got in the marriage. And here is the greatest lie from the devil as it relates to this subject today. I want you to write this down and I want you to ponder this and think through this. Here is the lie. Teach your children this lie. Teach your employees this lie. Teach everybody you come in contact with this lie because it is prevalent all over our culture today. The lie is that if you have chemistry, you don't have to be good at relationships. That's a lie. In fact, I want you to hear me when I tell you today, if you fail at relationships, it will always, always, always diminish the chemistry. Always. It is impossible for you to be bad at love and bad at relationships and keep chemistry with somebody else. You can't show me one example anywhere on the planet. And so if that's true, what we got to do is find Jesus' rules, dust them off, and start all over and look at what he has to say. And if you're single today or you're hoping to get married one day or you're a teenager or a student or a college kid today, I I want you to hear me. These rules are so important for you today. They're so vital to having the great future that you really want to have one day. And here's why. Here's why. Your future you is determined by your present you. In other words, the present you is your future you's past. Does that make sense? Your present you is your future you's past. And the things that happen to you and that you do right now will be the things in your past in a few years. That's how it works. Another way of saying it is this way. The decisions you make today will shape who you are tomorrow. And we've all heard testimonies of people trying to escape their past and trying to run from and get away from their past. Well, good news for you today. There are some rules that you can follow today that will ensure you don't have to regret your past in the future. They're present. That's really good news. If you follow these rules, you can rest and be very, very, very sure that you won't wake up someday and go, man, I wish I would have made better decisions. Wow, I wish I would have made better choices in my past. I heard a story a few weeks ago by a pastor who was telling this story about this young lady who in his church came and talked to him. And he pastors in Atlanta, in the metropolitan area of Atlanta, big city. And he said that this girl who was in her mid-20s, maybe mid to late 20s, grew up in a Christian home, loved the Lord, was a part of her youth group, was chasing the things of God, went to college, and kind of started sliding away from the Lord. She got out of school, went, moved to a big city in Atlanta, and, and got immersed in the dating scene in, in the big city. She never, listen, here's the thing you need to know. She did not ever come to a crossroads or a theological juncture where she decided, I don't believe in God anymore or I don't believe in Jesus anymore. She just was absent from that track and was on this track. And she immersed herself in the culture and in the society and in the dating scene. And a few years later, after all kinds of wounds and all kinds of difficulty and all kinds of hurt and things that she would regret one day, she she meets this guy and she thinks he's perfect. 
And she described, she went home to her mother and she described to her mother this perfect guy. She said he is the total package. He is handsome. He works out. He's got a great job. He he makes a lot of money. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's patient. And and everything about him indicates he loves Jesus with all of his heart. Every part of his life oozes the fact that he loves Christ and loves the Lord. And her mother looked at her in her late 20s and said, honey, here's the problem. A guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. And she fell to her knees and her heart broke because she knew her mom was right. And the path she had been on had taken her away. And she said at that point, that was the juncture and that was the crossroads for her to say, I got to go back to my first love. And I got to go back to Jesus, not so it will work out with that person, but so that I can be all I need to be before the Lord. Let me ask you this question. How narcissist is it to hope and pray and believe that one day you could find the right person and along the way, not try to become the right person? That's crazy. When you think through it and view it through those lenses. And so you need to understand this today. You were, God created relationship. He loves relationship. And he created you for relationship. And so it is completely natural for you to love to hear, I love you. It's completely natural for you to love to hear, I adore you. I respect you. I want to be with you. I'm forever yours faithfully, right? I mean, it, it is incredibly, that's not just a journey lyric, by the way. That, that, that is the thumbprint of God on your heart, that, that he made you that way. He wired you that way. He knit you together in, in that way. And I want you to know today, you can have that. You can, but you have to follow the rules and you got to do it God's way. So what are the rules? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13. And, and let's look at this together. And uh, what Paul uh, did in this chapter is he wrote this one chapter about love. And you've got to keep in mind the context of this. It's funny where this follows because he's talking to the church. And he's talking to the church about leadership. And, and really these are rules for leadership. And, and he happens to use it at love. You hear it at weddings all the time because it's a very appropriate chapter. But Paul heard the words of Jesus. Hey, how I loved you, y'all love each other. And I think he thought, well, how did Jesus love? And so he wrote a chapter about how Jesus loved. In fact, most scholars would say you could take the word love out every verse in 1 Corinthians 13 and put the word Jesus in and it works perfectly. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. It works perfectly because it is a description of Jesus and how Jesus loves us. And if Jesus is saying, hey, you need to love each other the way that I loved you, then we need to know how Jesus uh, loved. And in fact, what Paul did quickly in this chapter of scripture is he introduced to us a game that Sesame Street picked up on later. Some of you are old enough to remember Sesame Street. You remember that game? Which one of these things does not look like the other one? That's the terrible, I'm terrible, jingles. But in fact, let's just play the game real quick. Let's play it. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the other by the time I finish this song? How many of you got it right? Let me see. Right, bon qui qui and the rude thing. You got it right. This is not rocket science, okay? And so, but what Paul does is remind us of these things. And so let's just start reading in verse four. He says, love is patient. Just practicing for you. I'm just letting you practice. <laughs> Patient. 
It's patient. Do you know what that means? It means it waits its turn. And I want you to hear me today as I say to you, listen to what Song of Solomon says, don't awaken love before it's ready. That is a strong, strong, strong parental advice. Don't awaken love before it's ready. And I just want to love you by saying, hey, those of you who are parenting girls, if you let your little girls in elementary school and junior high and high school, you let them become these bandies where they've got all these band posters and they go to every single concert that comes and they, they wait backstage to meet and, and, and they're kissing the posters on their wall. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're letting love awaken before it's time. That clock was not meant to be wound up at that age. It was not meant to be turned on at that age. It was not meant to even be looked at at that age. You understand what I'm saying to you? And so you, you got to protect this timeline because when the timeline starts, it, it only has so long, right? And, and so you, you can't start it too early or you make it really, 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 really difficult on your children the, the, the few years before they get married. It means you don't get all worked up and get ahead of yourself. And if you're really acting in love, you'll be able to wait. I saw it yesterday on my Facebook post. It's a great quote. Uh, that, that love can wait, it's lust that can't. Love can wait, it's lust that, that can't. Let, let's keep reading what he has to say. Love is kind. You know what that means? It's considerate. And it considers others. It says love is not jealous. Some translations say it this way. It does not envy do you know what that means? Look at me. If you're not married, look at me. If you're married, look at me. Here's what that means. It means I don't feel so good about myself. So I can't let you feel so good about yourself. And that's a problem. And that will destroy intimacy every time. Every time. You got to root that out. It doesn't fit in this list. Uh, love is not boastful or proud. Love is not rude. In fact, you know, when, when Bonkwe, she's so funny. You know, I mean, just that rude. Thing. I, but rude, that is so simple of a test. Hear, hear me. If you're in junior high and you're thinking about your girlfriend or boyfriend, or you're in high school, you're thinking about your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're in college, or you're a single adult, or you are pursuing the dating scene, this is the simplest test of all the tests that Paul gives us. It, it is not rude. That's so simple, yet we're so blind to it. Hear me today. If you're with someone who is rude to their parents or rude to their coworkers or rude to their siblings or rude to their friends or rude to their employees or is rude on social media, you can say to me all you want to say, Pastor, they're not rude with me. Just wait. They will be. They are rude and they will eventually be rude with you. You want a character test on people? It's the simplest test I have found. And looking at employees, looking at future deals, looking at prospects, looking at who we want to partner with as a church, I look at how people treat people that they don't think they need. Did you tip the bellman? Did you tip the waitress? Did you take care of the people that you think you don't need in your life? I know they're going to be nice to me. I'm the pastor. Everybody's nice to me, right? I know they're going to be kind to me. I know they're going to be respectful. I know they're going to be on their best behavior. I watch how they treat people they think they don't need. It is the greatest litmus test in your life for you to determine somebody else's character. How are they treating other people? And love doesn't fit in the rude list. He goes on to say it's not irritable. That one hurts me every time. Because I think I'm kind of like high on that chart. 
Where a 10 typically irritates people, I'm like at two on a regular basis. And, and the fast, I don't know if y'all experience that in the fast. Mary's all the time going, man, you're grumpy. And I don't, I, she's like, I think it's the fast. I'm like, I don't know. You said it yesterday. You said it last week. But, but it's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged, he says. So let's keep going. Verse uh, 6. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever truth wins out. Another translation, the ESV says it this way. Love does not rejoice in doing wrong. Another translation, this is my favorite, by the way, says it this way. It does not create regret. Love does not create regret. That's crazy good translation, isn't it? And hear me today. You don't want to be a part of their regret. And you don't want them to be a part of your regret. Hear me today. Single adults, hear me today. What serves you well while you are living the life will destroy you and haunt you later in life. I want to say it again because I want you to hear me. What serves you well while you're living the life today, it will destroy you and haunt you later in life. In fact, I talked to two or three counselors in the last two or three weeks, and irrespective of one another, not knowing what the other said, all three of them said this to me. Pastor, we have yet to counsel with someone in the last several years. Every single person we've counseled in the last few years has sexual sin in their life. Now think through that for a second. By the way, most of the people, 90% of the people they, they see are church people. And they're saying there's not one person that we've seen in the last several years that doesn't have some sort of sexual sin in and on and around their life. Now, now think through that for just a moment. That means the enemy is on the prowl. And he is trying to take us out earlier and earlier and earlier. And while I've pondered this, listen, I've thought about this verse of Scripture that says sexual sin is separated from other sin. And do you know why the Bible separates sexual sin from other sin? Because it's a sin against the body. And this morning, there's a great revelation for me today that the body can mean your physical body, one person's individual physical body. But the body is also a word that is used to describe the bride of Christ, the church. That we are the body. And sexual sin affects the body and the body. And, and the question I've been pondering the last five or six days is, what could a church do if its people got free from the sexual sin on their bodies and, and got free from the sexual sin in the body? There is no telling the ground a church could take and could cover if we would deal with that stuff. And, and I want you to know the average today, Google says the average is seven sexual partners. Seven. Now, when you do that math for a moment and, and you just take that average and, and believe that every partner you were with was with an average of seven, and you do that math seven times seven times seven times seven times seven times seven, that, that you, you get into the thousands and thousands and thousands of families' sexual sin you have brought to your door porch and to your porch. And I don't want to debate with you today, nor ever, uh, 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 about the presence of the demonic. And if you want to believe that they're not in or on a, a believer, fine. They're on a skateboard or a hoverboard right next to a believer. I, it makes no difference to me. I don't care. But it is ground that you are in charge of. And on that ground, the enemy gets, and we have to take that ground 
back. And, and in fact, I, I would just I put it today. It was a brand new thing. I put it today. I found it. Uh, John Eldridge has a prayer called Sexual Healing. has nothing to do with Marvin Gaye. And, and then our people uh, in the piece in the house, Kevin and Susan Morris, uh, expanded that into a four or five page thing. I put them both on the website today put them both on the website and they'll be in the blog tomorrow. And I want you to work through these. And if that stat is right, that every single person they're meeting has some sort of sexual sin in and on and around their lives, I I, I want you to walk through that exercise. Every one of you, every one of you. I want all of you to walk through that and to walk through the process of getting healing there in, in your life. Love, he goes on to say basically that love knows the difference between right and wrong. And it acts on that knowledge. And no matter how much you like that bad boy or that bad girl, true love will always, listen to me, true love will always go the route of doing the right thing the right way. Here's another way of saying it. You can write it down this way. Love says, I want to do this the right way, even if the wrong way feels right. I want to do this the right way, even if the wrong way feels right. You know that old song, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about boundaries and love from a God who loves you and wants to protect you and wants the best for you. Look, I know what may feel right and I know what feels good, but what feels right and what acts right sometimes are two different things. And you can't gauge it uh, that way and you can't gauge it uh, by feelings. And as we look through this uh, process and we look at this scripture, it says it rejoices in the truth. Uh, Jump down and uh, look what he says in verse 7. And by the way, as a believer, you got the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, and he's talking about rejoicing in the truth, right? Love loves truth. Write that down. Love loves truth. And so when you got the Holy Spirit in your life, he leads you into all truth. He leads you there. And when, and when you go on a date, you bring the Holy Spirit along. You check in with the Holy Spirit. And hear me today. I, 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 I'm not the coolest person in our church, not even by a, a long stretch. Don't even want that title. But I'm in the top 10%. <laughs> and, and I would say to you, I, I know that it sounds corny, and I know that it sounds crazy, and I know that it sounds like a bad, terrible date. Be patient, you first. Be kind. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. It sounds like you're going to an Amish barn raising, right? <laughs> and, and, and not a club. And, and you, you, it doesn't sound fun at all to you today. Listen to me. I am trying to save your future self from damage and heartache. And I'm trying to show you the truth of the real rules of love so that you can make good decisions and avoid heartache later on in life, that you would have the most joyful marriage on the planet. So let's move on to to verse seven. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And and, and true love never gives up and it doesn't let go. In, In fact, what Paul did here is he gave us a cheat sheet. Any of you ever have a teacher in class that said, hey, the answers to the quiz tomorrow are, and then they just start spitting them out? How many of you ever cheated in school? And you confess that today, right? You wrote it on your shoe, you wrote it on a paper, you wrote it on something, and you had a cheat sheet. You put it under the, you wrote it on the desk. What Paul is doing here is he's giving you the cheat sheet. And what he does in this poetry is he says, here, these seven things, they are love. These seven things, they're not love. Love, loving, not loving, right? And so you can carry this around. In fact, I encourage you, put this on your phone, put it on this piece of paper, put it in your purse, put it on the mirror, and you can just question yourself all the time. Hey, I just acted this way. Is that loving? Uh, yeah. Is that loving? Mm, nope. 
Would you forgive me? And you do the loving thing in that process. And so let's look at the seven things that Paul says. And that's what he does in the poem. He gives you seven loving ones and seven not loving ones. Number one, love is patient. We talked about it, right? Number two, love is kind, right? Quickly, I don't want to stay on this list forever. Number two is kind, right? Number three is truthful. Just fly through these guys and I'll read them from the screen. Just put them all up there if you would. Uh, Number four is relentless, It never gives up. It never, ever gives up, right? Truthful means it rejoices in the truth. Uh, Faithful, it never loses faith. It never loses faith. Hopeful, it it has hope. And and the last one, I wrote it this way, unbeatable. You could put, if you're a man, you could put the word bulletproof if you want to. Because it endures all things is is the scripture. It endures all things. So it's patient, kind, truthful, relentless, faithful, hopeful, and unbeatable. Now he gives us seven things that love is not. Uh, go ahead and throw all seven up, if you would. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not demanding. It's not irritable. And it's not resentful. Just leave those up for a second, if you would, guys. And by the way, Paul goes on in the next couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 13, and he gives us three reasons uh, not to give up on love. He he says faith. What is faith? Faith is believing there's someone better up there. He he talks about hope. What is hope? Hope is believing there's something better out there. And and then he talks about endurance, which is bringing faith and hope together and acting them into one ball. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, things that you cannot see, is what Hebrews tells us. When you live by faith, hear me, you can endure any struggle, any struggle. And believe me, you will have struggles in life. And if you get married, you you will double your struggles. You will have struggles. And and a marriage built on these rules that we just gave you in 1 Corinthians 13, instead of the new rules that our culture is trying to give us today, they will endure. It will last. It will never give up. It will be what you want it to be. Dating with your future in mind. Listen, it sounds like such a sad, boring, miserable letdown of a date, doesn't it? Sounds like it. I'm not saying that you ought to sit down at the first date and and over your first coffee say, uh, what centerpiece do you want at the wedding? That's just weird. That's not what I'm saying. This is not weird. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not weird. I'm saying you ought to think real long and real hard about dating someone you can't see yourself with five months from now, 12 months from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. You ought to think really, really hard. I I can just tell you professionally, there are people that I thought, man, I would love to have a relationship with him or her. I would like to know them professionally and I would like to understand what makes them tick because of some sort of success. And and God has given me the route into some of those people's lives. And I just have to tell you, some of them I'm like, I don't like them. I don't even want to be friends with them. I don't care how popular or how uh, starred they are in in Christendom, et cetera, et cetera. I I just don't even like them. We got to have that kind of foresight as it relates to dating and and to think through, I don't care how popular they are. Do I even like that person? And are they a good person? But Alex, I just want to have some fun. Sure. All kids do. All kids do. We're talking about adults. And adults have learned that love takes a lot of work. Adults have learned that Disney is really good at amusement parks and really good at entertainment, but they're lousy marriage counselors. And and setting me up for this happily ever after. This automatic happily ever after presented in in the fairy tales today, hear me, it's a sham. It's not automatic. 
And happily ever after takes a whole lot of work. All fairy tales end the same. They lived happily ever after. But what they don't tell you is that it's harder to live happily ever after than it is to fight the dragon, to kill the wicked stepmother, to rescue the princess and slay the dragon and wake her up with a kiss than it is to live happily ever after. In fact, all of that stuff together is easier than waking up next to him every day for the rest of your life. And all of that is easier than waking up next to her every day for the rest of your life. There's work involved in this thing. Look what Paul goes on to say. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But I grew up and I put away childish things. The the, the whole fairy tale thing, that's a childish thing. It's a childish thing. And it's sad so many of our young adults grew up watching all of that stuff and they've based it on that. They based their view of marriage on fairy tales. And by the way, that age just keeps getting older and older and older. And that young people were raised to believe that it's the norm and the expectation that you just take two people and put them together and everything will work out. That's crazy. It will not all just work out. You got to learn to communicate. You got to learn to be kind. You got to learn to be patient. You got to learn to be loving. And just because you have chemistry doesn't mean you can skip those things. I've heard several people say, I I, I think if we have chemistry, we don't have to work on those things. I I just want to get out of my office. You're so dumb. I can't help you. You're just too dumb for me to even help. Listen, you have no idea how this works. You will be constantly surprised. And and, and by the way, what are all these fairy tale things? They're a part of the magic kingdom. And I love going there. I I love. One of you send me and my family. I'll go. But it is not advice for marriage. What what is magic, by the way? Think about that for a second. What, what, What is magic? Magic, you have no idea how it works, you're constantly surprised. And in the end, you feel like you've been taken advantage of, (laughs) right? We got to get out of the magic kingdom and get over here to the kingdom and to God's kingdom and and get under the rules for the one who made us and loves us and gave himself for us, right? And and you got to be in the word of God on a regular basis. You have to be in the word of God, letting it shape you and shape your character and shape your heart, tell you who you are, who, who you belong to. If you haven't picked up the devotionals, uh, to, to, we, we give it to you. Pick up a devotional today and just start walking through it. You're only one week behind. You can catch up in one lunch hour this week. But look what Paul goes on to say in verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and all that I know now is incomplete, but then everything will be complete just as God knows me completely. Hear me today. None of this in first Corinthians 13, none of it comes natural. None of it comes natural. You know what comes natural? Chemistry and passion. But think through this. You could have chemistry and passion with thousands of people. They don't even have to speak your language and you could have chemistry and passion with them. You would never even have to have a conversation and you could have chemistry and passion. I'm talking about living with somebody. I'm talking about doing life with somebody. This is a bigger thing. This 1 Corinthians 13, it requires effort. But here's what I want you to hear me say today. You can do this. And your heavenly father wants this for you. He wants this for you. Paul calls marriage a mystery. He doesn't call it magic. 
And he goes on to say it's a revelation of God's love for us and his gift of salvation through his son. It's the revelation of that. We've talked about that many, 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 many times. This is so, so important because it's not just important to avoid heartache and dysfunction in a future marriage. That's not what it's about. Even though that should be enough motivation for us to get all this and live by this and understand this, it's so important because it's also, according to Paul, a picture of God. Revealed to a world that doesn't really know God. And they're standing in front of a mirror that's all scratched and tarnished and faded. And they can't make it out. And they're trying to make out who is God. And what is this church thing all about? And who is this man named Jesus? And they look at the church and they look at the marriages in the church. And they see our marriages and they think, they don't have it any more together than I have it together. And if that's true, the reason that's true is because we're following their rules. Follow the same rules, you get the same results. But, but if we get out of their rules and do it God's way, th- then all of a sudden we switch it. We g- now have a chance not just to live happily ever after. We have a chance to show them how great God is and how perfect the love of Jesus is. And how wonderful walking with the Holy Spirit is every day in every way, including our marriages. T- take a look at his last words again. He, he says, but then... I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And I want you to hear me today say to you, God knows you completely, and he loves you completely. And he knows the past that your present is trying to erase, and he knows the future part of you that's going to regret your present. And he knows all of that bad stuff, and yet he loves you anyways. He loves you still. And that's the type of love that these rules are trying to create in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of love before. But I want you to hear me on every campus today saying, it's available to you. It is available to you. And today, if you're single and you're thinking about getting married someday, or you're thinking about getting married again someday, or you're a student or a teenager at college, I want you to think real hard about these rules. And they're not rules like you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. They're rules like, hey, don't run out in front of a car. It'll hurt you. That's what they are, and that's the context of these rules. It's all in love. And I want you to think through how many of them have you broken? I want you to think about the date or dates that you've been on, how many have they broken? And, and here's one thing I want you to hear today. God don't break them. He does not break them. He's always patient. He's always kind. He's always enduring. He's always long-suffering. He, he is always loving. And you can have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful marriage in the future by starting to live by this love chapter Today. I promise you, I promise you it's true. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you're here at Battle Creek or in the chapel or you're at Midtown or Downtown or South Tulsa or Owasso or Cairo or Chicago, or you're watching online. We've got people today, I don't know why, we've got people in Japan watching us online today. We, I don't know how to say hello in Japanese. It doesn't matter where you are today. If you've never trusted Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, Today, that's your next step. 
Would you bow with me? Everybody at every campus, every phone or computer watching online today, would you just bow your head? And I want to lead you in a prayer, helping you trust Christ and give your life to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to confess it out loud and to pray it out loud wherever you're seated. And I just want to ask you, you're going to hear people, men and women, praying it all around you out loud as well. Every campus, you want to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how. I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. I receive you and I receive salvation. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen and amen. Every campus, would you thank the Lord today?